Welcome to the Startup Sack Podcast. I'm your host, JDM, aka Josh David Miller. And every other Thursday, I sit down with one of the Sacramento region's boldest startup founders to give you a front row seat into how they did it from idea all the way to IPO. In this episode, I sat down with Gary Adanke, the founder of Acorn Finance. We talked about how he identified a gap in the marketplace, the importance of building in public, and how to go from initial friends and family investors all the way to venture capital. It was a fantastic discussion. You're going to have a great time. If you haven't already, take a second to like or subscribe so you never miss an episode. With that, let's get on to the show. So starting at the like 30,000 foot view, Gary, what is Acorn Finance? So let's say your heater broke down and you call a contractor. You expect it to be maybe 500 bucks for the contractor to fix it. The contractor comes to your house and says, you know, JDM, this is it's too old. We need to replace it. It's going to cost you 12 grand. And the contractor sends you an estimate for $12,000. And on the estimate, we have a little widget that runs with a link. You click on the link and fill out a short application form. It takes about a minute. And when you submit it, we go and connect to several lenders. We have over 20 lenders. And they come back to you with pre-qualified loan offers for you to finance and get that project done. So it doesn't impact your credit score. So we help both contractors and homeowners is at the point of sale and point of need. We help them get the best possible loan to take care of the project. And this way, you know, you really need to, you know, look around, call a bunch of banks, et cetera, and try to figure out how you can get that heater replaced. So what are the average size of these repairs? Like what kind of loans are we talking about? Yeah, great question. So, you know, different projects are different sizes, right? If you are trying to get HVAC, it's going to be about $7,000 average. If you're trying to replace a roof, that's about $12,000 on average. If you're looking for a swimming pool, for example, it could be anywhere between $35,000 to all the way to $150,000. What we have done is we have lenders who basically go across the loan amounts. So up to $100,000, we have lenders who do personal loans that doesn't require some kind of home security. And then about $100,000, we have home equity loans that basically can help you get larger loan sizes. All right. So that's the what it is. Let's get, I want to get some baseline stats. Like where is Acorn right now? Then we're going to reverse engineer and I want to hear the story of how you got here, but I want to know where is here? How many customers do you have right now? What's your revenue like? How, how much money have you raised to date? Like, what's the current state? You know, it's early in 2024. Where are we? So one of the, our business model is really embedding with software solutions that do invoicing and estimates, et cetera, so that that way we're able to capture contract and mass versus one contract at a time. So we have embedded with about seven to eight software providers. We help about 215,000 contractors in the U.S. today. And so we are a marketplace, right? On one hand, we have 215,000 contractors. On the other hand, we have about you know, 20 lenders. And in terms of fundraising, we have raised about $12 million thus far. 
we're actually getting ready to raise another round um, as we're speaking. To put the question kind of crudely, how much money has passed through the platform? Yeah. So last year, for example, we have about $5 billion in loan applications that have passed through the platform, right? So we not only service contractors and, and homeowners, but also one of the things that ended up happening was when homeowners started receiving these estimates, some of the homeowners were like, well, you know, we don't want to work with this contractor. Can we just get a loan directly through your website? So we opened that up a few years back. So now we're getting both homeowners directly coming to your website as well as through our contractor. So we, you know, we continue to grow over the years. All right. So thanks for that. So that's where we are 2024. I have like 400 more questions that we could like really dive into there. Uh, but I think a lot of this is going to come out when we talk about the story, like how you actually got to here. And then I want to hear a little bit more about that round that you are going to be working on next. I'm sure there's an interesting story there too. But where did this come from? Like, where did Acorn Finance come from? Yeah. So my background, I spent um, over 20 years working for large banks like Citibank, Barclays, Capital One, and also work on a partnership cards. So a lot of these credit cards, as you know, like American Airlines card and Apple card, et cetera, are really partnerships between banks as well as the merchants. So that's kind of my background. And one of the things after my experience there is I worked for a few lenders that really focused on home improvement loans. And one of the things I observed is if you are a contractor offering home improvement loans, typically you have to sign up for the lender. Typically contractors that have, you know, a certain amount of revenue, two to $3 million in revenue are able to offer these loans. So in the U.S., you know, contractors can generate up to 30% more revenue, but only about, you know, 15% of the contractors are really offering these because of the way the lender-contractor relationship is structured. So what we wanted to do was how do we make this process so that even a small contractor was not at that two, $3 million revenue mark can offer financing. So we took this marketplace approach and we made it so that every contractor can offer this. And then those contractors who want maybe to offer promotional rates and want a closer lender tie-up, we could also offer that to those contractors. So, so really the genesis was, you know, how to democratize financing so that, you know, in home improvement, we are facing a really generational shift where a lot of contractors are older and they're kind of really aging out. And, you know, the younger generation uh, in home improvement is $550 billion per year everything you do to your house. So as these newer, younger, you know, contractors come to the foray, we wanted to help them with, you know, a product that would help them kind of grow their business. All right. So you've been in the industry for a long time. You notice a revenue problem with the, the contractors. And then if we can democratize finance and we can, you know, help, help the contractors out, also help the homeowners out at the same time. So you see this amazing like opportunity there. And your solution is we'll create a marketplace. We'll connect all these players together. That's fantastic. So how'd you get from the idea to the early customers? Like how'd you get from zero to one? What was that journey like? That's a fantastic question. When you are going from zero to one, right? So in a marketplace, 
really challenging. There's a chicken and egg problem, right? Do you need a baseline group of lenders so that you can offer the solution to homeowners and contractors? But then why would the lenders come with you have no contractors and homeowners? <laughs> you need a baseline group of you know, homeowners and, and contractors. So we, from that standpoint, lucked out a little bit where one of my uh, really good friends and ex-bosses created this company where he had kind of a nerd wallet lending tree model where he created a marketplace of lenders to really compete with nerd wallet and lending tree so that he can offer business to consumer solutions to homeowners. So what I did was I asked him if I can license their technology and then offer it to homeowners and contractors at that point of need by building additional layer of technology. He said yes. And so that's how we solved one part of the equation by just you know borrowing and, and licensing their technology. Now we had to get contractors and you know, the early days were, and this is the advice I would give to most startups is, you know, people think that, oh, well, you know, maybe I had a VP of sales or somebody who, who, you know, sell the product, but, you know, you as a founder need to make the first 10, 20, 100, you know, sales. So right. I really, you know, called on a couple of angel investors and actually the greater Sacramento community who put us in touch with their contractors. And I, you know, called on them. I used to go to these lunch-ons and you know, share this. It took us about six months to build it. And once it was built, we built the technology in such a way that all they needed to do was uh, just have a link that they would just email to their to the homeowners at the point of need. And the homeowners can click on the link and, and get these loans. So the first 50, 100 contractors, you know, I personally went and got them. <laughs> All right. So there's like three or four different threads I want to pull out there, right? But the part you just said is really interesting. And it's part that a lot of people miss, which is where do your customers actually come from? And like you said, everybody wants to jump like really far into the future and say, well, we're going to do ads for this. And we have this big SEO strategy. And it's how we're going to get everybody in. It's like, whoa, 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 time, time out, time out, time out. You can't do that right now. Like that's not where it's going. It's like the framing of, I often do it as like 10x is like, where's your first customer coming from? Then the next 10, then the next 100, because those are three different answers, right? And so often it's exactly what you said. It's like, well, we got to go out and find them. And so you did something interesting that I just wanted to make sure I understand that because it, it's, it's kind of cool. So you were talking to investors in the area and you were doing that not only to talk to the investors, but you were also using those investors for customer discovery, right? To get their contractors. So now you were getting double the work, bringing them involved in the process. So they're actually seeing more of the value by virtue of them connecting their contractors with you, right? That's right. That's right. So early on, we actually raised, you know, quarter million dollars friends and family round. And that friends and family round predominantly came from a couple of angels and, you know, they just believed in this model and they owned, you know, home improvement companies. And, you know, actually I started off with, hey, can we, you know, evangelize this to your community? And they were excited and they saw the value that we were adding. And, you know, in the investor world, they say, when you ask for money, you get advice. And when you ask for advice, you get money. So when it comes to us raising that small round, I was like, hey, you know, we're trying to raise this round. Do you have any advice? And they're like, yeah, we'll put in some money. So, <laughs> so <laughs> get that, you know, piece that round together early on to just get, 
you know, very May as an employee, and we've got a couple more employees, especially the, you know, the sales staff. And then we had, for the technology, we had an outsourced vendor in India who uh, had a relationship prior life, and they built that tech. And then, of course, we had this licensed company. We pieced those two together and just hired a couple of people to just, you know, kind of to get from, as you said, from the first 10 contractors to 100. Awesome. Okay. So I think you said now you have something like 215,000 contractors. In play. Okay. So that's a lot. So obviously you've had a, a trajectory there, which, which we'll come back to. But the second thread that I wanted to pull on was this idea of the chicken and egg, right? Because marketplaces are hard. I always tell people to avoid marketplaces because they're amazing when they work and they almost never work, right? Because <laughs> it's really hard because it's like, as you said, like, well, we need the homeowners on there to attract the contractors. Otherwise, it's not worth their time. And why is a homeowner going to come on if there aren't any contractors to help them? And so you get this chicken egg thing. So totally made sense how you got some of those early contractors directly through relationships and then relationships of relationships, work the network. Awesome. Where'd the homeowners come from? So with marketplaces, what ends up happening is marketplaces have inherent network effects. And the definition of a network effect is every single player that comes to a marketplace adds value to the whole marketplace, right? So a good example is, think about Facebook, right? Let's say you and I are on Facebook, and then we invite one of our friends on Facebook, then now we have a three-way conversation, and then that person invites two more friends and three more friends. So, so marketplaces exponentially grow, right? So coming back to your question about where we got the homeowners, our, our vision was as we get a contractor to the marketplace, now that contractor brings every single homeowner that contractor talks to after that day, we automatically get those, you know, homeowners, right? So for us, when we add, you know, the first contractor, let's say the contractor is talking to 100 homeowners, you know, that month or that year, and then you have you know, 10 other contractors, you have exponentially grow those those homeowners. So our focus, we're really a B2B2C player, right? So we actually go and get the contractors in and then the homeowners, they are actually automatically bringing those in. Right, right. Okay. So that makes a lot of sense. You kind of had part of the chicken and egg problems sort of taken care of because they're bringing it with them. So like if we were to analogize to YouTube, for example, the early part of what you said, like, okay, network effects, anytime we have, you know, another contract increases the overall value of Acorn, which is true in just the abstract sense, like in when on the YouTube side, by having a content creator on YouTube, YouTube is more valuable because they're creating content, they're putting the content up there. But in addition to that, this is as if the content creator is also bringing their audience with them, as if they had this following on TikTok or something else. And they said, come subscribe to my YouTube channel. Now YouTube is getting more valuable simply because the content creators are bringing an audience with them. So you're saying like, we didn't even have to get the initial audience because we're, because we're B2B2C, we're helping contractors with the customers that they're already finding finance the, pro the, the projects that the contractors want to get paid to work on. So they're doubly incentivized, in other words, to bring their customers back through Acorn. That's exactly right. And that's a great example with YouTube really as a company, as a marketplace, it's really important to understand, you know, where do you want to put your efforts, right? With YouTube, you would think that YouTube would actually be interested in bringing content viewers. It's actually content creators. And as each content creator brings just, you know, millions and millions of views, and that's kind of how the marketplace grows. So exactly right for us, it is, you know, it is getting those contractors is, is pivotal. And then what's interesting is we actually, when we launched we just had six lenders, 
And when we got a critical mass of contractors, then we got another six lenders. So when we had six lenders, it was just 40%. And then when we got another six lenders, it went up to 75%. As it went up to 75%, more contractors were able to join us because they were like, great, now you have much higher approval rate. So that's a nice virtuous cycle. Great. Okay. So we've got we've got contractors, we've got homeowners, we're building this thing. And to see if I can kind of get the story out so far, you identified a problem with contractors or the contractors have, and you had this idea to, to solve the problem through this marketplace. You eventually went out and got a friends and family round, raised 250K. Along with that, got some contractors in, bringing that reflex to get the homeowners. And then you outsourced to some existing relationships for a company in India to kind of get the thing built. Okay. So the logical question before we move on from that is how did you get to the $250,000 friends and family round? I feel like the, one of the really common things in startup stories when they're talking about financing is that they'll talk about, oh, well, yeah, we did this friends and family round, but our, our first real round was, and they move on. And I think most of the entrepreneurs, the answer go, whoa, 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 I don't have a friend with $250,000. And so like the, the story of how you got to that, I think is often left out. So how, like, how did you get from like, okay, Geary has this cockamamie scheme for building this platform and you convince a group of people that you have some relationship with at least to get 250K on the table? Like, how'd you do that? Yeah, so I was able to share the vision, right? So it's interesting. I, I, you know, read this somewhere, which which really resonated with me, right? And the analogy that this person gave was, if you think about a Christmas tree, the ornaments are stories and the tree is a narrative, right? So coming back to your question, I had this original idea. I pieced together. This was kind of the vision. Then where does that narrative go from there? And sharing that narrative with, you know, friends and family and also with uh, potential well-wishers. So as an example, one of the checks came from this individual who started the licensing company and he really believed in how we can grow. And also not only do we kind of benefit, but also their, you know, platform benefits from the licensing fees, et cetera. So I got introduced to one of the home improvement manufacturers through a friend of mine and I you know again shared the story and you know the narrative around where we are heading and that really resonated with him I I think one of the things about raising rounds as well as raising you know venture is do you have an idea and a concept that is category defining that is not a me too you know we were not like Google for contractors we were truly something that you know, had not been done before. So I think that really resonated with people. And, and you know, people want to, you know, vicariously live through you as a founder and they were willing to kind of support us. Yeah, so you have like this idea of like better sucks, right? You don't want to be better, you want to be different, right? Which is great, super wise. And I do want to add one more thing now that I think about it. I think a lot of people, when they have ideas and, and concepts, they believe that I'm not going to share this with anybody. And the notion that somebody is going to listen to to your idea and what you're doing and then stop everything that they're doing and they're going to just start this thing, it's just ludicrous, right? Yeah. So the more people you talk to, the more feedback you get about your business, you can actually you know, learn from that. But then, you know, also the more people will, you know, support you and join your journey. 
Right. It's so, so true. Like build in public, man, build in public, get it all out there. Steve Jobs was often called like this reality distortion field, right? So you had this ability to tell a narrative that was compelling and interesting. We're doing this thing that's different. It's category defining. And you had a clear story that you're able to tell. And it sounds like also you were able to find not only just like people with money, which is of course an important component to them writing a check is that they have to be able to write the check. But uh, in addition to that, they were also strategic investors in some sense, that there was more than one reason that they were throwing money at this. They weren't throwing money at this just to say like, oh, this is an investment and I'm expecting, you know, X percent return in exchange for Y cash. And they're actually looking at this as like, oh, this helps me out because I'm going to get more licensing, you know, through this platform. So if I can help this thing get off the ground, like I get my investment, which is awesome. But in addition to that, I'm also, you know, growing my my revenue just in the in the existing thing, right? That's right. Yeah. And, and really, if you think about investors, right, you have three types of investors, right? You have friends and family, then you have angel investors, professional angels, and then you have venture capitalists, right? And angel investors really are investing to get probably two to three X return. They've been successful before and they want to give back to the community and they do want to make a little bit of money. And then venture capitalists are looking for the 10 X return. Friends and family are investing in you and they, they believe in you and they they want to kind of support you. And in some cases, yes, they we we did kind of add value to their platforms, but that I would say it's not I mean, I don't think it was strategic for them. It was a little bit, but but for them it was more they had domain expertise. So they understood where we're right. heading. And domain expertise really, you know, kind of added more value for them to resonate with our story than, hey, listen, if I invest in this, I'll do the math and my businesses grow by X, you know, percent. So consequently I should invest. Right, right. So if you're talking to angels or you're talking to VCs and you're looking to get checks, at that point, you have to not only have the narrative of the business, but you have to ha provide evidence along the way. There's this problem here and this problem's understood and we can make money at this. And then you have to get you have to get all the little pieces of evidence that make the math puzzle work out so that they know that this makes financial sets for them to invest in. But if you talk to somebody with domain expertise, they can almost hand wave a lot of that away because they understand that the problem you're solving is real and they understand intuitively the numbers that you're talking about. And it doesn't have to be something where you provide robust evidence for. Exactly. Uh, absolutely. And that also, that thread I, uh, really goes across angel investors and venture capitalists as well, where there are, you know, VCs who, you know, understand the domain because they've invested in other companies similar to you. Part of the day with themselves, you know, like as an example, if a venture capitalist was in a bank before and they've worked for lenders and now they're a VC, they would understand your model better. So uh, really when you are filtering and rank ordering your investors, that is something I would definitely look at because an investor, a be it professional or an angel with domain expertise, it's going to get your business model in you know, 10 minutes versus somebody who doesn't. I've been in the room when those pitches just don't land. And it's like, I get it because I know their industry, but they you know the other people in the room don't. And so they're like asking this question, it's like, oh, we're, they, we just don't have this story yet. All right. So that, that was the first 250 of a total of 12 million. Let's talk about those angels and VCs. So you, you raised the 250, you went out and built it. What was the next fundraising milestone for you? And how did you get from, you know, 250 friends and family, outsourcing, building this thing, some early buy-in from contractors to the next round? Yeah, I really wanted to make sure that we do go after venture capitalists and, you know, raise that next round. As we got a little bit of traction 
and, you know, put the stake in the ground and said, you know, we're going to raise two to $3 million. And I, you know, started kind of reaching out to the venture community and really put, you know, plan together as to how we're going to use this two to $3 million and kind of grow staff and, you know, grow this, this model. And, you know, again, started actually reaching out then, you know, Crunchbase is a great example where you can see where everybody has invested in and started looking at those investors who had both prop tech experience, you know, home improvement, et cetera, as well as fintech experience and investors who really work with earlier stage companies who do seed rounds, et cetera, and, you know, started reaching out to them. And I live in Sacramento, never raised a venture round. I had no contacts. So I just honed in the art of sending out cold emails. So I know a lot of people are like, oh, you don't want to raise, you know, venture around by sending cold emails. And what do you do when you don't have a bunch of contacts, right? So I did ask for some intros, but for the most part, I just drafted really cold, you know, personalized emails and send those out. And, and that's how I connected to venture investors. And then we ended up raising a, a $3 million seed round. How long did that take from the time that you closed the friends and family to the 3 million seed? So that was friends and family lasted us for about a year and a half. So, and then it took about six more months for us to raise that round. Okay. Got it. So, so now you're two years in, you said you've got some early traction, some early customers. And then at what point did you make the transition from, we've got some early traction and we're onto something here and we're going to keep playing with this thing to the point where you just said, like, let's get some cash so that we can pour gas on the fire and just grow the thing that we've proven work. When in that fundraising journey, did you make that transition? So when we raised that $3 million, that was the time when we actually switched from working with smaller contractors to, you know, starting to kind of you know, embed our solution with some of these software providers. And that's when we realized that, you know, basically we need to grow our technical team and really start focusing on the softwares. So we worked on that piece. And then from the $3 million round, we went to, you know, kind of an 8 million series A, where we embedded with a couple of smaller software providers. And then we did a lot of BD. And then once we started getting some of the larger providers, we were able to kind of demonstrate those, that interest, and then raise that $8 million loan. All right. Awesome. So now you're in growth mode. Is that right? Yep. Okay. So we spent a lot of time talking about the, the friends and family round because it's, that, it's the interesting like boots on the ground thing that you know a lot of people don't talk about, but things started getting interesting. You raise the seed round. Things start kind of kind of really bubbling up. It's working. You're going after the bigger players. You're doing the embeds, raise another eight, series A. And that brings us to like full circle back to where we started the conversation, right? Which is this platform that's kind of, it's doing well. It's growing. You've got a couple of hundred thousand contractors on it, lots of embeds. And then you dropped the, the what's next, that you're about to do the next round. So what is the next round for? I'm assuming it's a series B. So what's it? What's it for? So we are we are raising a series A plus round. And the reason is because one of the, the biggest growth stories that we have had is we've been working really with small business contractors, right? And then last year, we had this moving company, Pods. They came to us and you know, we actually, you know, did a little pilot for them. And after that, 
they wanted to see if we can really scale for the moving vertical. And moving is similar to home improvement where, you know, you kind of get a loan and then you have to move and there is multiple stage kind of payments, et cetera. Like when you buy a piece of furniture, there's just one transaction, whereas, you know, home improvement and moving, there are multiple small transactions that add up to this, you know, big loan. So we started last year building some technology for an enterprise. So we moved from small business to really this large company. And then we're actually getting ready to launch with them pretty soon. And then there's no financing in the moving vertical. So we'll be the first ones to kind of do that in a very innovative marketplace. Where, So as we started working with those, those parts, we realized that, hey, listen, now we both in the home improvement and the and the moving vertical, we actually need more people to really scale this technology. And so we said, let's just do a quick, small round so that we can just expand this versus doing a full-fledged Series B. And, and it's kind of that's how, you know, it started. So we are you know, getting ready to kind of, you know, potentially close the round in the next like, month or so, two months. And uh, that'll help us just increase capacity and then probably do a, a larger round later in the year or next year. And is the moving vertical, is that a separate customer segment or are you pivoting? Yeah, so it is a separate customer segment, right? So the need is similar. As I said early on with your HVAC example, if you think about home improvement, there are needs and there are wants, right? Wants are, I need a swimming pool, right? Whereas a need is, oh my gosh, my roof is leaking. <laughs> and when you have a need, you need to get that roof fixed, right? In moving, it's the same way. When you have to move, you have to move. It's a need. If it's a, a long distance move, the average is about five grand. And let's say, you know, you've got a job, you have to move it's $5,000. Where do you get that money from, Right. And especially when there are needs, you really want to kind of have some kind of financing solution to really help you, you know, get that done. So, so that's kind of the common thread between the two. And the second common thread is most of the moves are, you know, homeowners, they have similar credit profiles. And, you know, one difference is that, you know, you're kind of adding to your home versus here, it's more of a, a transaction that it's more of a service. So we're about out of time, but I'm Curious if we can kind of connect this back. This is a startup sack podcast. So in either your your friends and family, which you spoke to a, a little bit or further along, particularly in your in your seed series A or going into this A plus round, how much of your investment is coming from investors within the Sacramento region? So I would say probably about 60, 70% of the friends and family round was from Sacramento region. And then our venture rounds, um, they all came from, you know, out of the region. And that's because we actually have investors that really specialize in, you know, embedded finance and, and, and fintech, et cetera. So we went after those investors where they were. And that's one of the advantages now is that, you know, there was a time when, Investors used to only invest in kind of a particular region or, or if you are in that geography and especially now, you know, post-COVID especially. And, you know, those rules have fallen of the, um, the window. So, but the, the Sacramento community is 
has been really instrumental in our growth. And part of it is Sacramento is one of the largest home improvement communities in the country. If you think about just greater Sacramento, you know, there are studies out there where in terms of home improvement growth, you know, they rank in the top five, right? So this is a really good test bed for us in terms of, you know, talking to contractors and you know, talking to homeowners. And from a, you know, growth standpoint, this has been really, you know, instrumental. Awesome. So it's a good region for it. Some of the investors here got it, but you did have to go out of the region to get a thesis fit for for some of this, right? Absolutely. And I would encourage everybody, I think in terms of, you know, fundraising, you need to, I mean, I've reached out to investors, in not only in the US, but also investors in Europe, et cetera. So I think money has no boundaries. Money has no boundaries. It's a great place to end the conversation. I mean, we could keep talking about this all day, but we're about out of time. So lastly, before we go, Gary, like where can people find you around the internet? Yeah, absolutely. You know, available on LinkedIn. I attend a lot of, you know, Sacramento events, thanks to, you know, Laura's hosting the events and, uh, you know, folks are looking for advice and happy to kind of share more insights. And then you know, uh, we're at acornfinance.com if, you know, folks are interested in learning more about our company. Thank you so much for uh, sitting down and uh, chatting with me today. No, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for taking the time. This has been a lot of fun. Likewise, likewise. That's it for this episode. The Startup Sack podcast is a production of Startup Sack with executive producer Laura Good, producer Johnny Flores of Flores Podcast Productions, and brought to you by a generous innovation grant from the city of Sacramento. Please give this podcast a like and subscribe wherever you like and subscribe. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave us a review. We love the feedback and it helps us get the word out. As always, thanks for listening. I'll see you in two weeks.